0: Hello and welcome back to Honest Theology, a podcast where we ask real questions about a real faith and a real God. Today we're diving into the Bible and how do I believe it?
1: You, you get that sense that the Holy Spirit was doing more than just giving someone a bright idea. <laughs> yeah, like, I ah, sorry, yeah, I skipped out on Shakespeare. Oh. But there's something that's coming through that is uniquely of God, and I think you have to admit that when you read the Bible.
0: I'm Paul Serstad with Dr. Hugh Osgood, Let's Be Honest. All right. Let's. I want to first dive into the construction of the Bible. We're going to go simple for the first episode. Okay. okay?
1: Uh, so, who wrote it? A whole range of authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit.
0: A whole range of authors. Yes, indeed. Yeah. How many do we know?
1: Yeah, everyone knows it, so I've just forgotten. Oh, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. just, we <laughs> should be prepared is, for
0: these, don't <laughs> you? <laughs> so, a whole range of authors. Yes, this that's a good answer, isn't it? Really. Squirming around. There. Good. Nice. All right. Okay. So but a, but a book can't be written by a whole load of authors. I mean, a book is written by you know one or two maybe but so what what's the Bible then?
1: Well, the Bible is really in some ways you could consider it a library. It's a collection of books, isn't it? Some of them are definitely written by one author, others of them have got sort of multiple contributions in them. Mm-hmm. So if you go into the Old Testament, some of those longer books, clearly written by prophets, some of them written down by different scribes that were working with those prophets. Uh, the history books, you've got a whole range there. Some of them you don't exactly know who the author is, there are assumptions made, but the the big thing you you do sense with the Bible is that it's it's rather unusual in that you've got all of those authors writing across a whole period of time, Mm. and yet there's an incredible coherence. So things that are mentioned in Genesis find a, a, a completion in Revelation, and and the whole Bible comes together in a way that's quite extraordinary. So there's is that a, because
0: they're carrying on the
1: story, to some extent? But actually, I think it's because you, you have to be aware that that God was inspiring people. Now, how you understand the inspiration is is something quite interesting because it was at one point it was almost like take this down as if it was dictation. Mm. But one of the things you get to know about God is that he doesn't override people's individuality or personality. Mm. So when you're talking about the inspiration of scripture, you're really talking about how God guided people in their choice of words and their choice of understanding and yet didn't override their personality. So it's quite remarkable how God has caused his word to be revealed in that way.
0: So people wrote it, mm-hmm. but with inspiration. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, I mean,. But, but can you just explain a little bit on what inspiration a little bit more on? Is, it, is, that, is that the whole topic or is that just like, oh, right on this theme or is it right this? Well, it's quite interesting because in we your... talk
1: about inspiration and it can be just we've had a bright idea. But I think when you're looking at the way that the scriptures has come together, you, you get that sense that the Holy Spirit was doing more than just giving someone a bright idea and say, express that however you want you really get the sense that God was actually guiding that person in the choice of their words and the way that they put things together so that you can say that there is a sort of uh, a real sense in which the words of the Bible really count for something, particularly in their original language. But I also believe that God has watched over translation. So that even in its translation, it carries the accuracy of what God wants us to know.
0: Yeah, we'll get, okay. We'll get to translations later. But you say that the Bible is, is a load of books. It's like a library. Yes, yeah, like a library. Yeah. Um, so obviously at some point they started off as individual books. Sure. So who put them together?
1: Okay. Well, the Old Testament was put together uh, <clears throat> over a period of time. And one of the things that gives us confidence in the compilation of the Old Testament was the way that Jesus himself quoted from it. So he didn't seem to have any problems with the way that the Old Testament was put together. The Hebrew scriptures, they were gathered. Um, he, he quoted from various books there. So you get a sense that he was like giving his uh, imprimatur, his seal, seal of, of approval, approval yeah. to to the Old Testament scriptures put together over a period of time. And actually, there's, there's a, an interesting thing in that there was a translation into Greek from the original languages that became known as the Septuagint because it was put together by a whole group of uh, writers, 70 writers that came together to do that. And that Septuagint is something that um, gives us again a sense of how it all came together in a coherent form because it had stood in that pattern for a while. And some of the quotations that Jesus uses are from that Greek um, Old Testament.
0: Mm. Well, or Hebrew what scriptures, what about the rest?
1: Oh, the New Testament. Okay, coming into the New Testament It's very clear the way that Jesus spoke to his um, Apostles and said that the Holy Spirit's going to bring things to your remembrance So there was very definitely a sense in which when they were writing the Gospels They had really clear recall by the power of the Holy Spirit of some of the things that Jesus has said and done but and even So they're this... able to commit that down to writing.
0: But even at this point, they're still all individual books. Yeah, so who put those together? Oh, okay.
1: Well, obviously what happened in the early days of the church life, um, various people under the inspiration of Holy Spirit were writing books. Um, you'd look for their apostolic authority. Um, so you were looking at people that were respected in the church as, as being um, set apart in a leadership role and inspired by the Spirit to write. So you've got, obviously, the four gospel writers. You've got Luke who was getting information from Paul, obviously traveling with him, but also seemed to do a huge amount of research when it came to producing his gospel. Um, You've then got, um, alongside that, you've got all of the Pauline letters, all of Paul's letters. Then you've got James, who grew up as the Lord's brother. So, you know, half-brother really, probably. And you've got also that...
0: Probably. Hopefully. (laughs) Otherwise it confuses things. Well, there
1: there are some discussions around on how all of that works. And I I don't want to get into complicated arguments about, you know, were they uh, half-brother through Joseph or wherever we go. (laughs) So um, then uh, in addition to that, you've got Jude, who also was probably another brother of James, brother of Jesus in that sense. And then, of course, you've got John uh, writing the Revelation. Peter's letters are in there too. But what you also had at that time was <clears throat> in the early centuries of the church, people were beginning to write literature. Some of it we call tribute literature, where it was a style of the day where you were trying to big up your hero uh, so stories about Jesus, stories about Barnabas. Some of these were around. Some uh, different, Some took the name Gospels using the apostles' name, so you get uh, various Gospels yeah, out like there. The Gospel with, of Paul, you, Barnabas. Well, the, 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 yeah, yeah, I think there's epistles around that. And then you've got the Gospel of Thomas, for example, oh, yeah. uh, which talks about the childhood miracles of Jesus, which you're a little bit questionable because it was obviously that he didn't think his ministry had begun until that moment when... Uh, The Spirit was witness coming upon him at the Jordan. So you've got all of those other bits of literature, tribute literature, other things that were written. And of course it was scattered because the church had um, spread and so different parts of the Bible were written or sent to different places. And one of the challenges in the early centuries of the church was with the persecution that was around, it was quite difficult to know which church had got what in Mm -hmm. the terms of apostolic literature. And it, it took a while for them to be, begin to discover what each other had got, to be able to test it. It talks about the canon of Scripture, which is a way of as, applying a test. So they would say, is it of spiritual value? Can you see the historical roots of it? Is there an apostolic uh, authority behind it? And so all of those things were tested. So occasionally you get people, I mean, Dan Brown's very hot on this, and he? he comes out with his conspiracy theories about who, who, Dan who'd... Brown, the author. Yeah, no, but who? It comes up, it You're talking who about church blocked things, but I don't think they did. But
0: who did put it together? Who decided? Oh, it? oh
1: goodness me. It was, it was the churches themselves. There were uh, church leaders began to come together and look at these things, find out what the literature was. Okay. And it was really done on that basis, that it, it, it reached a consensus that these are the books that deserve to be Brought together as that group, uh, as the New Testament scriptures.
0: When? I mean, do we know roughly when that was? You're
1: asking me dates, and you're asking me names sorry, and figures. Yeah, sorry. I know. I'm being very, very out. Uh, you know, claim claim that I. Is I, it?
0: I mean, I've heard 500 AD as that. Is it? Before that, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. I once fact, heard that it was inf- done by a lot of monks. <laughs> no, 500 no no. Like, no, no, no. Oh no. no, maybe that was the timing, the
1: dates. Oh well. Don't worry, Paul. (laughs) No, it's definitely earlier than that. We're talking about the early centuries. We're talking about the churches having the literature. They were using it. A lot of the churches would have a lot of things. So, for example, if you look at the church in Ephesus, uh, John was based there. Paul had been based there. So it would have had the Ephesian letter. It would probably have had access to the other letters that were written in that area. It would have had the Revelation. It would have John's three letters and so on. So that's the way it was.
0: So the other stuff that isn't in that is called the Apocrypha, am I right? Uh, the that's like the stuff. collection of all of them. Mm,
1: yeah, but some of that really would have been uh, things that were written much earlier. So there was already a, a collection of things. So, so Yeah, because that's what I
0: was going to say, because even some of the, the parts that they bring into the New Testament, so Jude, for instance, yep. they accept Jude, and Jude quotes Enoch, yes, which is right. a collection of literature
1: mm. in the Apocrypha that is... Well, possibly. I mean, that's a whole question as to how much authority we can give to the books in the Apocrypha and whether, in fact, that was the book of Enoch that was being quoted. So there are some of these things where there are references um, to books that would have been around at the time that get referred to. E- even in the historical books in the Old Testament, you find references to, to other other literature. But We've got that confidence that actually what God wanted us to know has been gathered together, and of course there would have been other writings around, but that's the way it comes together very clearly.
0: Okay, so um, moving on to the the relevance of it all, um, I think what. A lot of people struggle with today is the translations okay um and and can we trust today's translations?
1: uh you have to understand them. Okay. You know, I've got a real guilt thing about, I don't know all these dates and times that you asked me in the last session. Oh dear, I ought to go into them. Well, I I didn't mean, you know don't really. want to prepare I, for these. No, I you, tell you what, no, like, oh, no, throw it at me. <laughs> throw it at me. And then you ask me dates and times. and I mean, oh my goodness. But the good thing is we're motivating all these people to go online and tap it in and say, what was the date right. of this? Yeah, sure, sure. That, that. So, was the plan all yes, along, guys. It was, not it, was. really? Yeah, so versions, translations and everything else. So I think translations are fine. We can trust them. We just need to understand them. Uh, Because there's a whole range. So some versions have tried to do what you might call a word-for-word translation. And the challenge with a word-for-word translation is it can read a little bit clumsily when you're using it in a different language. Word order... Um, the fact that some of the imagery that's used is relevant in one culture but not in another like
0: trying to say it's raining cats and dogs in spanish and they're sorry what you're talking about yeah yeah
1: that's true cool right <laughs> but there's lots of illustrations like that yeah and and so you can have those literal ones that, that can feel a little bit clunky but they also sometimes don't communicate because if you just said you know you take a word and yeah. it's it's actually a kind of expression that doesn't translate well then right at the other end you've got what we might call a thought for thought translation where someone has actually tried to convey the thought that's being there now as long as you understand that then you're fine you can go into these various versions and get a whole lot out of it so you could say that the message for example is a thought for thought um, version whereas something like maybe um, the new king james version um, which is an updating of the authorised version is is probably more of a word Word for word. word one so it's really concentrated on that, but you get a whole range through as, as to where get, they sit on that scale.
0: You get more different style, styles in thought for thought because the message oh, yeah, is very colloquial. Yeah, sure, and um, you do get is that as the street Bible.
1: Yeah, um, and and some of those are written with a specific audience in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get some great ones. I've, I've I've come across some that are written in pidgin English, and I, nice. fantastic. I really love oh, it. Great. But hey, you know, but it, it's it's that kind of thing. It's actually trying to. Bring the thoughts into the context of where people are at so that they understand the message.
0: Okay, but can, can we, knowing that, that stuff does get lost in translation, I mean, h- how how relevant can we make it?
1: I think we can make it really relevant. I don't have a problem with that. But I think you just need to be aware of that. So so what you might find so is... So should
0: you read more than one version?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think you can be really stimulated by reading, okay. you know, a thought-for-thought thought version but you may then want to go back and do it as a study. And then when you're doing a study, you're better off with a, a much more literal translation of the thought for thought. But so I would, know that for you, me, I got really provoked by some of the thought for thought stuff I read. Yeah. Uh, I
0: mean, would you suggest for someone maybe new to the faith, would you more lean towards a thought for thought for them?
1: Yeah, I would for some. I mean, it, it really depends on where we're starting from. Okay. Um, some people, you know, really want to get stuck in at that kind of level and get the sort of word-for-word word understanding the literal from the beginning. And I wouldn't discourage someone from doing that. But, you know, if you're trying to catch someone's attention, and it, it depends to some extent what kind of stuff they read, yeah. what, their, what their general, you know, um, why, I mean, purely are. speculative
0: question. Why, why are we very obsessed with the King James
1: Version. Oh, okay. Because actually, it was really quite a good, good version. When I uh,
0: heard in like in the first print run, they they skipped out a few words, like uh, "thou shalt not commit adultery." They, well, they skipped words, out the, the "not," yes, I think, which I think is I know, just there are, legendary. Yes,
1: I know there are a few like that, and and those versions were fortunately not yeah, many yeah, copies, course, so course. they're worth a whole lot. But,
0: but why why do we? Uh, I don't know, people seem to be fascinated by that version. Like, I mean, sometimes like, people go, do you read the King James? And like, well, <laughs> n- I mean, no, because I don't say thou, thee, that, and Yeah, but
1: actually no way that it's a thou or a thee or that is sometimes quite useful, because one of the problems that we've now got is that you in English has become both singular and plural. So I could say you meaning just you, or I could say you meaning a whole crowd. And because we just use you now, whereas the King James, I'm sort of doing an investment with the King James here. Yeah, you are. You'll know whether you're talking to an individual or whether you're talking to a crowd. But very... Uh, yeah, but I know... But, but difficult very,
0: for someone who doesn't know what vine means at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, ah, sorry, yeah, I skipped out on Shakespeare. <laughs> I know,
1: yeah, okay. I do that. So.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, it's always fascinated me.
1: Um, but no, it, it was a particularly good translation. And, and similarly with Luther's translation into the German, um, it actually shaped the language. Okay. So that's why it's quite significant. Uh, the, the that piece of work, in terms of literature, where it sits on a literat- literature scale, is really significant. It's going to shape language.
0: When we do, uh, when people do the Lord's Prayer, people, no matter what translation they read, they just slip into the archaic language. Oh yes, yes. Oh, king, thy kingdom, kingdom come, thy will be done. i just. I sometimes I, I actually f- I uh, I mean this is. F- Fully personal, but I force myself to say the words that I would use, because I kind of go, oh, it's...
1: Well, as long as you finish the same time as everybody else. Yeah, I I make sure I don't, (laughs) but I
0: just, because I can, I don't know, I connect with it more, I guess. Um, Otherwise, I feel like I'm doing some Shakespeare. Um, Okay, so again, on the relevance, a lot of the, well, no, I mean, pretty much all of the Bible isn't written to us. It is written to specific... Um, churches, or it is written to specific groups, or promises are made to specific nations, or yada yada yada. Um, but we tend to read it to us um, mm-hmm. very much, mm-hmm. a lot of the time, which can, I, I don't know, it can create a, a false sense of promise, a false sense of.
1: Yeah, sometimes it can. Um, I, I think one of the places I look at is in, in when when Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, mm. he said concerning the love of the brethren. You have no need that anyone should teach you because you yourselves have been taught of God. Now, I think that's great for the Thessalonian church. It was a real compliment. He was saying, look, I've looked at you guys. You really know how to love one another, and you don't need anyone to come and teach you that. Because that God's sounds like a lesson? contradiction
0: to a yeah, lot of the
1: other scriptures. I know, and then you get someone else saying, well, I'm claiming that Thessalonian passage. And you think, well, actually, they worked at it. Yeah. They really got before God and worked out how to show the right kind of level of love to different people in different ways. And that's, that's really important. But, you know, there are other passages where you you really sense that that isn't quite so specific. It's general teaching that needs to be out there. So when you look at Paul's epistles, there's stuff that's very specific, but also a lot of the general teaching, you know he's teaching on the Christian life, and that would apply mm. to everybody. But we
0: take but we take a lot of stuff like, uh, what's the, Jeremiah 20, what is it? 29. 29. Um, 11. Yeah. I, mean, I know I, the plans I have. For you yeah, that you, one. Yeah, uh,
1: which just, is great, you know.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it's not to us. And it's not, and
1: it seems weird when people claim. Well, I think you can on that one, because I do think that actually when God is speaking into a situation that they were really an extremist, this is a group of people that have been taken into exile, trying to work through what on earth is happening to their lives. And God speaks into them, says, look, I've got plans for you to Mm. give you a future and a hope. And I think that that is something that any of us can really take hold of because that is God's heart. But
0: I think we miss out the give a future and the hope. I think we just stick to the plans and we then put on whatever we want afterwards. Oh right, okay. That's well, that's maybe what I see here. Okay. Or like uh, the the, the uh, one of my favourite illustrations is um, the Philippians for the uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Without reading the rest of that passage, you, yeah. can, you have two football <laughs> teams on either side and one Christian in each team, and then go, guys, we're going to win this because.
1: I can do, I can all, do all things through, through Christ's strength.
0: Now, either they've got it wrong or God has a problem. <laughs> so, it's, I mean, it's one of those two, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but I think also on that one, one of the things that really puzzles me is that that's Paul saying that. And it's a testimony that's been worked. Over a period of time, yeah. he's discovered that actually in every situation where he's under pressure, that somehow God gives him the breakthrough. So it's his testimony, whereas someone who just sort of jumps up and says, I can do all things through Christ, strengthens me," it's, it, it sometimes rings a little bit hollow. So how should we read these things? Because we can't just read them. Intelligently, maybe. That yeah, might be a good start. Yeah, sure, but how do we do that? Well, context is really important. And what you've been talking about is really helpful, that actually people should look and say, Who's saying this to whom? And can it be applied generally or is it a specific situation? And you can ask those questions. Mm. And it's not wrong to ask those questions. And then you might say, well, look, I think, yes, I can, can see that it was particularly to the church in Thessalonica, but I can also see that it applies more widely. And you can take those principles and you can use them.
0: If you are on the same trajectory as the church in Thessalonica. Yes,
1: you can use it in that kind of way. Right, and okay. I think that you know, good preaching, if someone's really expounding the scriptures, should actually show that this is said to this person, by this person, and why we can apply it and take hold of it. So I think what you're saying is good. And I think that really it's the case of looking that that was to them then and there, and what is God now saying to us here and now? So that's a good way of looking at Scripture, and it's reading it intelligently. Also, there's a sense in which we need to be aware of the fact that the Bible has got different literature, literary genre there so you've got history and you read that as history you've got poetry you read that as poetry and then you've got other things which are where God is writing in a a form to bring through through Paul and others to bring counsel into our lives and Mm. we just need to recognize those different things and then you've got the book of Job for example where where it clearly says that three people are giving misleading information And people read those and quote those verses and think, oh, yeah, this is great. And you know, no, it isn't actually. (laughs) It's not great at all. So it's just reading it with some wisdom and some understanding.
0: Okay, this might be a big topic for a small section, but um, the authority... Sure. Of the Bible, um, it's also known as the Word of God, right? Sure. The Bible, I'm getting that right. The Bible is the Word of God. Yeah. Um, so, oh, but I, I think as I said it in there, there seems to be different understandings of that sentence. It's either the the, the Word of God. The Bible is the word of God or the Bible contains the word of God somewhere in there or the Bible becomes the word of God, uh, how we apply it. Mm. I mean, what do you say to these things?
1: Okay, I think that when you're looking at authority and you're aware that God wants us to have confidence in what is the basis for our living, you've got the opportunity of saying, right, well, I can do it all through my own reason. So in other words, what I consider to be right Mm -hmm. is therefore right. So that's basically saying that my authority on which I base everything is my own personal comprehension. Then you've got some people who say, no, 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 don't do that, you know. it's, It's basically, it's a spiritual thing, so it's to do with your experience. So what experience have you had? So that experience will then start to dictate what you, what you read and what you take and what you believe to be the basis for your living. And so that could be quite confusing because you can say to someone, well, if you haven't had that experience and I don't believe you've got that authority in your life. Tradition is something that gets hold of a lot of people. They feel safe in church because the church will tell you what you're meant to believe. Mm. And so they say, that's great. You know, I want a church that tells me what I'm meant to believe about everything, that's worked it all out and imposes that authority on us. But then there is that fourth option, which is to say, look, you know, I can come with an intelligent understanding to Scripture and take that as my authority because I believe that God has inspired the people that were writing it. He's watched over the words that they've used, and therefore I can have confidence in what is written, as long as I'm reading it intelligently and using, you know, that, the things that we've talked about previously as, as good ways of coming to Scripture.
0: Reason and tradition.
1: Well, reason and tradition you can use to some extent but i would never want to base my whole understanding of scripture on my reason or my tradition that they have a place but there's a sense in which if if the bible is putting A a case for something Mm. and you've looked at it intelligently and you've come to the conclusion yes that is something that is not just limited to that particular culture in that particular way but it has got wider appeal then I believe that we need to take the authority of the Bible in that situation. Where I think reason comes in is that obviously you, you if you've got something that's totally unreasonable you need to go back and say am I reading this aright? But I would always do that. I wouldn't just say, I've decided that that isn't right. Mm-hmm. I would want to keep going back to the scriptures and saying, am I getting this? Yeah. Because I, I, I want to submit my reason to scripture. Uh, but the tradition is also really helpful because I do believe that God has been helping the church understand scripture over a long period of time. We've talked about inspiration, how God inspired the people who wrote it, but there's a sense in which illumination is important as well, which is how God shines his light on his word, so that we who are reading it get the right understanding of it.
0: So I'm saying you're never reading the Bible alone
1: because you've always reading with the Holy Spirit. Well that's true, but I also believe that for example, if you said to me, look, I don't read it the same way as you do on that. Um that would be something I'd want to listen to. But I'd also, if, if, if it had been understood throughout church history in a particular way, and then I get a unique understanding that no one's ever had before, I'd want to say, do you really believe the Holy Spirit's been keeping secrets for 2,000 years just to reveal them to you? Yeah. And that should be a safeguard as well.
0: Right, okay. Um, See, so you'd say the Word of God the Bible is the Word of God. Yes,
1: I would. I'd go in that direct, definitely go on onto that basis.
0: And I, I really like what you said about intelligently reading it. hmm The problem I, I stumble across with that is um, uh, intelligence has to be taught in some way. Sure. You can't just, you can be intelligent in lots of different ways, but intelligently reading the Bible does require a special amount of skill set. Um, yeah, I agree. And then you f- have to put yourself under either tradition, the church, or reason. So how, how do you develop intelligently reading the Bible? Because I can read it all day long, and the same thing will come and come and come. Um, do, do you know what I mean?
1: Yes, I do. And I think what you're, what you're bringing out is really important, because when you, when you come to the Scripture, as you come to any text... Any Any piece of written stuff, you will bring certain preconceptions to it. You want to know what the author's saying, but also in a sense you're you 're bringing your own opinions to that, yeah, but what you want to do is to allow what the author has written to inform your understanding of it and And as you go repeatedly back to the text, you should be getting a developing understanding of what it means so I think that 's really important when i 'm talking about intelligently reading the bible i 'm talking about in some ways using the kind of basic understanding that anyone would bring to a piece of written work. So I'm not sort of suggesting that there's some sort of strange sort of pair of glasses that you have to put on when you read the Bible, because it is a case of, now, first of all, actually read it. Mm. What are the words saying? I mean, I've had some incredible things that people have said just simply because I haven't read the text. I've had people misread words. I heard someone preach a whole sermon once on being consistent and they preached on a verse which was saying um, <laughs> continence rather than consistence but they just hadn't read it you know less Satan tempt right. you for your <laughs> incontinence and they, they thought it said inconsistence and it was just a reading problem yeah um, sometimes it's punctuation uh, someone was telling me once over in the middle of preaching I heard this guy preaching and he was talking on the prodigal son and how and how when <laughs> the father came he fell on his neck <laughs> he said wow, that's really dangerous that he fell on his neck, suggesting that he'd fallen over. (laughs) over. It was an embrace, you see. But it's those kind of things where I'm just saying, this is basic coming to a text with that kind of understanding and just reading it that kind of way. But it seems to
0: happen a lot with the Bible, because the Bible is an old book.
1: I, I think it happens more because there are people who have not got a lot of experience of reading literature other than reading the Bible. So when they come to read the Bible, yeah. it's a whole new thing that they've got to do. Reading the words clearly, understanding the punctuation, Yeah, just basically reading skills sometimes, let alone getting into some of the keys of interpretation, just, saying, is that poetry or is this that or is that the other?
0: Yeah, I, d- I just think that becomes difficult because people don't come with that
1: set of skills a lot of the time. Well, they give and them an easier version of the Bible to read. Than the That's why you need different versions. Yeah, I I, I can understand why people get, get stuck on things. Yeah. But I can also know that there's a lot of easier reading forms for the Bible that people can use. And they should. Because, I, you know, it's it's not consi- it, it shouldn't be considered a sign of ultra-spirituality no. to be coming to the Bible to read words that you don't understand and then sort of comment on them accordingly yeah, get yeah, something yeah. that you, you you feel comfortable with reading.
0: I think that that's something in you know, what you said there about reading it with humility. Yeah. Um, essentially just admitting that you're not going to understand everything, admitting that this is going to be beyond you no matter where you are. Yeah, so what does <laughs> this mean? Yeah.
1: You know. I, think I mean we've had discussions on what things mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know that's really important, that's helpful.
0: Yeah. Um okay, last last thing about the Bible then the uh people talk about the inerrancy mm-hmm. of the Bible mm-hmm. uh, the infallibility mm-hmm. of the Bible um, do you have anything to say on those?
1: Well on both of those issues inerrancy and infallibility you're really coming back to the understanding of of how the Bible is inspired because if you don't have that sense of the Bible is inspired then you're not even going to entertain any thought of inerrancy because you're going to say well every book has got error in it Every book is fallible. At some point you're going to realize it says something and it's not true. But you have to put the Bible in a category where you're saying that this is inspired. God has guided the choice of words, worked in the lives of the people, hasn't overridden who they are and what they do, but but there's something that's coming through that is uniquely of God. And I think you have to admit that when you read the Bible just because of the way that it's coherent right across that whole range of all of those authors, the number of which I've forgotten, and over all of those years, the total of which I've forgotten, but it's incredible in both cases. You're good at literature, but numbers uh, yeah. are a weak point, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's it, yes. Yeah. But, you know, what we're saying is that that I'm absolutely convinced that, that, that we can rely on the Bible, mm. and it's because of that. And I also think that even though when you're looking at the fact that People sometimes say, but we don't have the originals. But no, I'm glad we don't have the originals because they were written on materials that wouldn't have survived this long anyway. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that someone was consistently, faithfully doing a a letter-by-letter check on the words that they were writing down as they produced new copies so that as materials were getting old, there was a new copy emerging, but it was the accuracy of that copying. So I would say that if you're going to talk about the Bible as inerrant and infallible, I would also say that it's important to say that God not only has watched over the choice of words, but he's actually watched over that whole process of transmission of the Bible through all the generations of new copies being made and everything else. And very short on scribal errors, that's how I would put
0: it. Yeah. Well, that's great, Hugh. Thanks very much. I enjoy talking about it. Yeah. Uh, Thanks uh, very much for listening or for watching if you're on YouTube. Uh, Please do make sure you subscribe on YouTube or you subscribe on iTunes or Google Podcasts and uh, leave us a review. Uh, And we'll be back soon with part two of this series on the Bible for How Do I Read It?